0: Hey, have you ever had uh, somebody in your life that you loved, that you trusted, that you believed in, that made an unusual promise to you, but and it was kind of like, oh, but because you knew them, because you loved them, because you trusted them, you figured, okay, it's, it's possible, and, the, and yeah, okay, I believe that person, it's true, well, an incident like that happened to me a long, long time ago. I was a freshman at Oregon State University, and I was in my dorm room waiting, it was between practices, kind of recovering from the from the morning practice, and I got a call. I went down the halls. One of the, one of the guys in the dorm said, hey, your dad's on the phone. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm not in trouble with the law, and I'm not in trouble with the coaches, so I wonder what this is going to be about. So I get the phone, and I'm talking to my dad. And Pops is not a chat guy. He's not. A, he's like right to the point, and, but he's a little chatter. He's, he's chattering up a little bit, and so I'm kind of following. I'm just trying to think, what, what's the point of this conversation? Where are we going with this? <clears throat> and then... And then he dropped a blessing bomb on me, and and that's a good bomb. He said something to me that kind of caught me off guard. He goes, well, son, uh, I'm buying you a stereo system, and I'm sending it up. And I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to pause for a second, because then he's going to say, psych, just kidding. (laughs) Because, I mean, he's never, ever done that. And let me give you some background. You know, we came from a family that that was not very rich. We were so poor, we couldn't pay attention. I mean... (laughs) Uh, government cheese was a staple part of my diet. For those of you who know what government cheese is, you get this brick in the mail, and uh, I, used to sh- I used to cut off about a third of it and go hide in the backyard and eat it before anybody else got to it. But, you know, uh, you know and I didn't know that spaghetti didn't come in a can. You know, I didn't know that Chef Boyardee was, I thought that was the, those of the people that made spaghetti. And, uh, you know, we didn't have much. We, you know, clothes, I, we had some clothes and, and food. Obviously, I beat everybody to the dinner table. But, you know, we didn't have much, but we were okay with it. I, I didn't know I was poor. I, I knew I didn't have much, but I didn't know I was poor. Uh, and so when my dad said that to me, that I'm buying you a stereo system, he might as well have said, I'm buying you an airplane. You know what I'm saying? And I thought to myself, wait a minute, did mom win the bingo or something this weekend? <laughs> so, so as soon as we hang up, I'm done. I was, you know, we hang up and I'm thinking to myself, I'm processing. I said, like, wow, I got a stereo system, man. I got, hey, you guys want to show the picture of the stereo system I'm talking about? <laughs> I mean, hey, that might look messed up to you, but to me, from the west side, that's the deal right there. I mean, we had 8-track tape, cassette player, got, got that, you know, they put that, those uh, uh, 45s on top of the stack. You can stack about 100 of them on, on, that, on that turntable, and I, I was just excited, and, and so I'm telling my roommate, I'm telling friends in the dorm, hey, pops has got me a stereo system, and so for the next several weeks... I, I was just excited. I was acting like I had a steer. I went to the record store. You know what a record store is? No, you don't. You don't know what a record store is. <laughs> I bought me some 45s, bought me some 8-track tapes, and I was, just, I was ready for the, for the promise to show up. And it did, finally. And eventually, when it showed up, it opened up the package. The whole dorm knew that I had a brand new steer system, because I was blowing it up. had Quincy Jones going off, had Jethro Tull, you know, Little River Band, had it all going. And I remember one of the guys, because we lived in the upper classmen's dorm at, at Sackett Hall. And so me and Rudy, my roommate, we were the only freshmen, I think, that they allowed into the dorm that year. Good thing. But so I'm, I'm blaring the, the stereo. I'm just maxing it out. And uh, one of the guys comes and knocks on the door. He says, hey, man, you need to turn that down. Really? In other words, I didn't turn it down. I turned it up. Anyway. So, I mean, I was, I was really excited. So I, I don't know much, but has that, has that ever happened to you? Well, what if, what if God promised you something what if our heavenly father made a promise to you see my dad promised me I knew my dad one thing I knew about it if he said something you can just take it to the bank you can cash that check because he meant what he said and he did what he said he was going to do and God is like that too with us Hebrews 11 chapter chapter 11 verse 1 says this faith is the confidence that we hope for will actually happen it gives us assurance about things we cannot see and for about three weeks, I was acting like I had a stereo system. You couldn't tell me any different. My actions lined up with what I believed. And I believed what I believed because I knew who I believed in. Chapter, verse 6 says this. It is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to, to, to him must believe that he is and that he's a, he's a rewarder of those who sincerely seek him. Another verse that says that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Abraham the Old Testament character in the Bible is one of the most revered figures in, 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 in our faith. And, and God made a promise to Abraham that took 25 years for it to, to unfold, 25 years for that, from the time he gave the promise to his fulfillment. And today we're going to take a peek at Abraham's journey and have a look at how he lived between the time God made the promise and when that promise was fulfilled. Let's pray. God, I thank you. That we can gather together in a place like this and worship you and exalt your name. God, thank you for the moments that we've had in worship. And, and as we get into your word, Lord, I pray that you would plant your, the seed of your word in fertile soil of our hearts and that it would grow up, bear fruit that will bless our lives and the lives of those around us. I pray that in Jesus' name. Our main text today is out of Genesis chapter 22. And I love the way it captures what it means to be living between the promise and the fulfillment. But before we get to chapter 22, I want to highlight several milestones in Abraham's journey. And I want to start in chapter 12. We're going to follow him a little bit, give you a little bit of background as we get to Genesis chapter 22. So we start off, Abraham's journey begins in chapter 12. God shows up on the scene and he says, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And you'll be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will bless you, will be blessed through you. So Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed. And he was about 75 years old at the time of this. So Abraham's response was to God's direction and promise was immediate obedience. I like the phrase that Pastor Stan uses often is ready obedience. And then if, if we look at that, that's, ch- that's chapter 12. In chapter 15, Abraham begins to wrestle with the promise that God has given. That, that ever happened to you where you felt like God gave you this, this word, this promise, and even gave you a vision for it, and it was just kind of taking longer than you thought it would take. Scripture says that sometime later, Abraham is kind of trying to bend his mind around this promise, and he comes up with this idea that perhaps God's delaying, and so God needs a little bit of a help. Maybe God is going to make it work out like this. There's a servant in my house, and he begins to even doubt. He said, God, how can you make this happen? There's no, I, I'm, I'm old, Sarah's old, and, God, and maybe it's my servant that you're going to use to bring this promise about. And God's response in verse 4 of Genesis 15 is, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. I promised you a son. I'm going to give you a son. Nobody else is going to fulfill. I got it down. And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Wrapping our minds around God's promises can be difficult at times, especially when we're acutely aware of our inadequacies and our deficiencies, isn't it? Genesis chapter 16, Sarah tries to get in on the mix, so we find her calling what's called an audible. She makes a decision that was not hers to make, but she comes up with this bright idea. Now, you know, if you don't know what an audible is, I'll give you a little quick football 101. An audible is a play that, that is, usually what happens is that the coaches will design a play, and then if, if the facts on the field change a little bit, you can audible out of that play to another play that'll be more effective. So coach calls a play, you get in the huddle, you run the play, and if you need to call an audible, coach gives the authority usually to the quarterback to make the call that would change the play. And I remember one time, uh, we're in a huddle. We're, this is when I was playing professionally, you know, and, and I'm in the huddle, and I got banged up a little bit. I was a little disoriented. Head was kind of throbbing. Shoulder was hurting a little bit. And, and, and then the, the quarterback comes in, the, Fred comes in the, in the huddle. He goes, all right, here's the play, and he calls the play. And it's a play that requires me to open up a lane so the running back can get through. So it's coming right down, right down the middle. And I'm thinking to myself, my head is hurting, a little blurry, shoulder. We're not running that play. So we're getting in this huddle. We're in the huddle. Fred calls the play. I said, nope, call a different play. Fred goes, what? Man, I messed up. Got to call it. So I looked over to our right tackle. I said, Markham, you good? Yeah, I'm good. Run the play over Markham. So we called the play. We run the play. It didn't turn out so well. Quarterback, coach calls a timeout. He goes, who called the audible? Quarterback, LaVassa called the audible. (laughs) What is the lineman doing calling an audible? (laughs) And sometimes when God tells us what to do, we think we got to help him out a little bit. Oh, I get it. You need a little bit of help, God. Here's how we're going to work this out. Right? Smart us. Brilliant. Right? So this, this incident takes place about 10 years after they've landed. Sarah's frustrated. Abraham's frustrated. And she thinks, perhaps I can have a child through the servant girl that's in the house. Right? Here's a, here's a, here's a thought for you. God doesn't need your help. He will call inaudible if, if he wants to call inaudible. Right? But until he does, until he calls audible, just stay the course. Stay the course. He'll make the call if he wants to make the call. So 25 years later, 24 years pass. uh, After the promise made, Abraham is now close to 100. He's 99. Sarah is 89. Both of them are getting up in in their age. And and at this particular juncture in Genesis chapter 18, some visitors show up. And one of them says, hey, I feel like I have a word from the Lord for you. Uh, Here's what's going to happen. A year from now, that son that you were promised by God, that son... He's going to arrive a year from now, right? So he makes that announcement to him. And Sarah is in another test. She hears this conversation going on in, in verse 12. It says, so she laughed silently to herself and said, how could a worn out woman like me and a jacked up husband like him come up with a baby in our old age? Okay, that's my version of it. And here's what the servant said in verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Sarah and Abraham were stating the obvious. Of course they were old. Of course they were beyond their years. Of course he was not young anymore and beyond childbearing age. Yes, that's a, that's a reality. But here's God's, from God's perspective, I'm the God that is not bound by, my, by your limitations, not by who you are or who you're not, not by your bank account, not by your economic status, not by your intelligence. I'm not bound by any of those things. I am the God who is, who has been, who always will be, I am more than able. And I love this quote by Mark Batterson in his book, The Circle Maker. With God, there is no big or small, easy or difficult, possible or impossible. To the infinite, all finites are equal. Love that thought. Then we move to Genesis chapter 21. Sarah becomes pregnant and gives birth to the son of promise. We see that in in verse 1. It says, the Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant. Abraham is about 100 years old at this time, and that moves us right up to the doorway of chapter 22. God is the ultimate promise keeper. just want to remind you of that. So now we're at Genesis chapter 22. Scholars and, and theologians think that, that uh, Isaac was probably around five to 35 years old at this. Time. That's a big. That's, a, that's pretty big. I think he's about 20 years old at the time, and I'll, I'll explain to you a little bit. So let's say that Isaac is 20. Abraham is now 120. So it's been 45 years or so, right, since the promise. And they're in the middle of this fulfillment. And and, and we find them in chapter 22. You can see on the screen as I read it. Abraham, his faith is tested. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. That's really interesting to me because chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, all the way to 21. look like a pretty big test to me, right? And it says... Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Okay. Abraham, God called, yes, sir, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love, in case you didn't miss that, he kind of emphasizing your son, your only son, the one that you love, the one that I promised you. Take that son, go to the land of Moriah, go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on the mountains, which I'll show you. The next morning, again, that ready obedience. Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him along with his son. Then he chopped wood for fire and for burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little further. We'll worship there and then we'll come back. We'll come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders. And the reason why I think he's more in his 20s than he is younger is that's a lot of wood. 5 year olds going to break. So I'm, 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 I'm going to take 20 as, 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 the, as the age for Isaac at this time. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, we have the fire and the wood. But where's the sheep for the burnt offering? Abraham responds, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. And they both walked on together. Verse 9. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, yes, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Don't hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You've not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he, he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in, the place, in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. Three thoughts for us to consider today as we look at Abraham's life and how he lived between the promise and the fulfillment. The first thought is this, peace, peace. Abraham had a relationship with God. His actions revealed a deep love and deep trust for God. In fact, here's, what, here's how James describes Abraham. He says that Abraham was called a friend of God. What a wonderful, well, that'd be an amazing place to be that, that God is my friend. Uh, I remember one time when I got stuck at the Narita airport, we were, I was on a mission trip, and I got stuck there. And, and while, I was in, uh, while I was in Japan, I was there for a mission trip for about three weeks. I, I befriended, uh, at that time, a gentleman named Konishiki. He was a sumo wrestler. He was a nozeki, which is the champion. Now, in, in Japan, they treat these guys like gods. He's about Konishi's about 600 pounds. Anyway, so I'm at the airport, and they won't let me get on the plane. So I called Konishiki up, and I said, hey, bro. Something's happened, man. They won't let me on the airplane. He goes, all right, I'll be right there. I'm sending a car. He comes up. They pick me up, and we go to the ambassador's office, the US Embassy. And we go in there, and uh, I mean, I'm just, I'm just a guy. We go into the embassy. Uh, Konishkin introduces me to the ambassador and say, hey, this is my friend Roger. We're talking. And so I sit down for 15 minutes. They talk about, I forget what it was, but it had nothing to do with me, right? I'm sitting there like, OK, when are they going to get to the part about let him back into America? So we get up, and Konishki, Konishki who's a, his real name is Saleh. He's a Samoan guy. He goes, hey, bro, we're done. Let's go. Okay, Mr. Ambassador, goodbye. So we, we go out the door, and I'm thinking to myself, what just happens? You're good. Just go to the airport. You're good. I get to the airport. They treat me like I'm a king. Had absolutely nothing to do with me. Had everything to do with my friend. That's what it had to do. And, and, and I want to tell you, God is much bigger than Saleh. A lot bigger than Konishki. Much, much more powerful than any ambassador. Friend of God. That's what Abraham was called. That's what I'd like to be called. Abraham knew the promise giver. Abraham was at peace with God. Peace is not the absence of conflict or pain, but the presence of the omnipotent, all-powerful one. God was greater than. Abraham had peace with God. Question for us. Do you have peace with God? Perhaps this morning you're struggling with that. Perhaps this morning you haven't given him the steering wheel of your life. Here's what Jesus promised us in John 14. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world can't give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Romans says this, therefore, therefore, since we've been made right right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus did. Romans 15, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Acts 3.19 tells us that when we repent and turn from our wickedness, when we repent and turn from our rebellion, we go into the presence of God. Refreshing comes from the presence of God because we're at peace with God. And the interesting thing is when we have the peace of God, we put ourselves in the best possible posture to hear from him just like Abraham did. Hopefully, our response would be like Abraham's, who's, who had ready obedience, who was willing to leave his hometown and his family and follow after God with all of his heart. Abraham knew God, he trusted God, he'd followed God with his whole heart. He had peace with God. So we have peace. Second, second thing that emerges out of Abraham's life purpose. Remember the promise that God gave him in, in Genesis chapter 12? I will give you, I will make you into a great nation. I'll bless you and make you famous. And you'll be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. This is my covenant in Genesis 17. I will make you a father of a multitude of nations. Here's your purpose. Here's my plan for your life. Abraham doesn't even have a son yet. But God's promises, God's purpose exceeds Abraham's circumstances, his resources, his experience, his abilities. It was a vision that required God's help in order for it to become a reality. Hebrews 11 says this faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. I really like the way the Amplified Bible says it. It says, now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of things we hope for, being the proof of things we do not see and the conviction of their reality. Faith perceiving is real fact what is not revealed to the senses. And again, verse 6, it is impossible to please God without faith. God rewards those. We, if we come to God, we need to come to God believing that he exists and that he's a rewarder. He's a rewarder of those who diligently and sincerely seek him. I'll never forget the day when Stan, Pastor Stan, came into our elders meeting. I was serving as an elder. This is back in 1999. I think it was, and then Stan came and he said, Guys, I feel like we need to pray. I feel like the Lord wants us to build a high school to glorify his name. And for me, it was a moment that I'd never really anticipated or ever thought about. But all of a sudden, I was, I, I, I just, it just became emotional for me when he said that. And, and the second thought that came, the thought that came in the midst of that emotion was, what if we could build a safe place for kids? And perhaps I'm influenced by a friend of mine named... Uh, was it Jimmy? No, it wasn't Jimmy. We'll just say Jimmy. I was in the seventh grade. And uh, I would go by and pick it. He, he lived in this, in the, in this rundown motel. S- anyway, Smitty, cheese and crackers. He knows the story. Yeah, right, two services. And it's kind of a rundown motel room. And I'm on my way to class, I'm on, on my way to school, seventh grade. And I go and knock on his door. And uh, and when he opens the door, this, this wall of just alcohol, you know, just the smelling, the stench of alcohol just hits me in the face. And I'm like, whoa, what is that? Smitty opens up the door and I'm like, I see behind him, he's putting on the jeans that he's been wearing all year and, and the tattered white t-shirt that he's always worn. And behind him is his dad. His dad is on, nobody's on the bed. There's just junk piled up on the bed. One bedroom motel room. His dad's Shirtless and drunk, out on the floor. I pick up Smitty. We go to school, and perhaps I thought about that. Here, here here's the reality: we live in a very nice area, but there is brokenness. There is there is heartache in homes where there should not be, and sometimes our kids are raised in an environment that is just messed up, and and then they go to a school system that's kind of messed up, and there they're, and, and it's just a tough. What if we could build a place that was a safe haven for kids where they can have a moment alone with God, perhaps? A moment alone or or then a place that's healthy, that embraces them, that encourages them, that inspires them. What if we could build a place like that? And I remember Bill Stein, who continues to serve as an elder today and one of my heroes I remember him praying, God, help us discover your will as you go towards your, your purposes. We began with no money, no land, but what we did have was a vision from God. It was way beyond our abilities, way beyond what we can do, even think. But perhaps God would do this on our behalf, and, and here we are. We're going to the eighth year of our high school school. Our elementary and middle school has been serving the southwest Portland area for 30 years, over 30 years. Our children's ministry, our youth ministry, amazing. Women's ministry, prison ministry, life groups, street to seat, volunteers, you name it. The life that's being birthed out of this place. Establishing a Jesus centered educational experience for the next generation has been part of our purpose here at Horizon Community and Horizon Christian Schools. Building a place that encourages and inspires people to follow Jesus with their whole heart, that's what we're about here in this house. That's what we do. How about you? What promises, what purposes has God birthed in your heart? What is it about him that he's turned your attention towards that matters most to you? You might say, I don't have... Hit the pause button for a minute and just think. He's given you something. And it's beyond your ability, perhaps. Perhaps it's way beyond what you can even imagine. But there is a God that's bigger than your imagination. Which brings me to my third point. God's purposes and plans for your life and my life are amazing. And that's what Abraham and Sarah discovered, and that's why that's what we will experience as we follow him. But it's gonna require something else. Not just the peace, not just the purpose, but also perseverance. One of the key character traits of Abraham that helped him navigate living from the promise to the fulfillment is that perseverance. Abraham was tested by God. And that testing wove strength and perseverance into the fabric of Abraham's character. Genesis chapter 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. We heard that story. He tells him, hey, go sacrifice your son. Look at verse 4. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here. So he, essentially he tells us the two servants that he's with, Abraham and Isaac had two, two servants with him. They come up to the mountainside and he tells his servants, stay here for a minute. I want you to just camp out of here. Isaac and I, we're going to go up to the mountain. We're going to worship God. And then we're going to come back together. That's what the scripture said. The boy and I will travel a little farther we will worship there, and then we will come back. Okay, he probably missed verse 2 where he says, go and sacrifice his son, right? Wait a minute, that's not what God said. God didn't say, you know, you're going to bring anybody, but, but here's what Abraham did. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19, gives us a little a window into the soul of Abraham and his trust in God. It says this about, about Abraham's faith. Abraham reasoned, That if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. So Abraham, knowing this God that loves him, knowing that God's got a promise in his life, knowing that the fulfillment of that promise had everything to do with Isaac, just assumed the best case scenario for God. He said, I don't know anything about what's going on, but I do know this. I know the God that I serve. And apparently he's going to bring him back to life. Apparently he's going to do something that's never been done before in the history of man. Apparently he's going to revive and resuscitate my son to the place where it'll be, it'll be as if we went and washed it for a while and then came back all intact, right? And perhaps you're sitting there going, Man, well, how can God, hey, I know it may be flatlining for you, but perhaps, perhaps the God that we serve can bring it back to life. When Abraham's faith was tested, he chose to do God's will, God's way. James says this, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. That's what it says. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Your faith a little tested this morning? Let it grow. That's what the scripture says. Hebrews 12 says this, and let us run with endurance. This is in verse 1 towards the end. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. In weight training, if you want to gain muscle mass or strength, you must introduce and increase the pressure. It's required for growth. If you want to grow, it's going to require pressure, sometimes intense pressure. And the more stress you put on your muscles, the more they grow. This does not increase your muscle mass. Okay? In case you're wondering, watching somebody else do the exercise on TV is not helpful. You got to drop that thing and get up and go put some pressure on your heart and on your muscles. Sometimes the pressure can be so overwhelming, we'll be tempted to quit, right? Sometimes it'll be just so, it's like, how in the world am I going to deal with this thing? And we'll be tempted to quit. Don't quit. Trust God. He's good. Don't quit. I remember uh, my first year in professional football, I tore out my knee. So this knee, we're playing on ESPN and I'm in a st- this knee ended up coming up like this. That's not a very uh, helpful. That hurts a little bit. So this knee is broken like this, and I'm, I'm the medial collateral, anterior cruciate, gone, just ripped. And so I'm, I'm, I'm laying on the ground. I'm writhing in pain, and I'm looking at my knee that's like this. That's not supposed to be like that. And I'm just trying to wiggle it back, and I'm in pain. It felt like somebody had taken a, a Bunsen burner and just stuck it under my heels and just turned it full blast. And so I'm, like, I'm in pain, and I'm writhing. And all of, there was this one guy that I played with. His name is Raymond Chester. He was a tight end for us. Uh, and Chester and I had had some conversations about God during the year. Well, as I'm writhing in pain and laying down, Chester st- straddles me. He comes over. I'm laying down right here. He straddles me. And he looks at me and goes, hey, Roger. Roger. And I'm like, you're a Christian. Trust God. you're a Christian, trust God. He's yelling at me like I can't hear him, right? And I'm over here, I'm in pain, I'm delirious. I'm looking. At him. And finally I said, Raymond, this is not the time. <laughs> he goes, oh. And perhaps you're in a situation where, man, the pressure is just so strong. The circumstances seem almost unbearable and you want to quit. I just want to tell you, This is not the time. Don't quit. God is good. He's able. And the scripture tells us that his power is perfected. I don't know what what that means, but it says that his power is perfected through weakness, our weakness. Blessed is the man, James 1 says, who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Galatians says this, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Perseverance. Freshman year, there's, there's a, apparently coaches think that it's a good idea to prepare you before the season comes. And they have this thing called hell week that they put you through. And what that means is there's two weeks of absolute chaos that, that they Run your body through, the, it's, it's a training regimen. And part of, part of those weeks includes setting up station, kind of interrogation stations. And stations all around the field. There's about eight stations and, and a coach at each station. And they have these drills that they run you through with their up, downs, hitting drills, and you're running through by like six minute increments. Next station, next station. And they're just beating the tar out of you. I think coaches are kind of masochistic by nature. So, so they're running you through this drill. And I remember as a freshman, I'm thinking, man, how long is this gonna go on? What in the world is happening? And, 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 and during, between, between the stations, I remember there's kind of a little low time, I could hear way off, about 100 yards away, there's a group over there and a, and a young man named James Fields who was a running back from Chicago. James goes, how long? And I'm like, I'm afraid, I don't know what's going on. I'm looking around, all these little groups are looking that way. Then he said, how long? Dead quiet, just like this. How long, my brothers? Then somebody from about 100 yards away, another guy, another group goes, not long. How long? Not long. How long? Not long. And sometimes I feel like that. We ask ourselves, God, how long? How long is this going to go on? And the Spirit of God would say to you, not long. Not long. Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, not if, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything within your power, within your resources, within your within your constitution, after you've done everything to stand, guess what? Stand. Quitting is not an option. God doesn't fail. After you've done everything to stand, stand. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in the thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. On the mountain of the Lord, it It will be provided. Abraham's journey reminds you and I how to live between the promise and the fulfillment. Abraham experienced the peace of God because he was a friend of God. And God's purposes were clear to Abraham. And when we have peace with God and a keen sense of his purposes in our lives, our mind, soul, and spirit are strengthened and we're able to persevere.